Hey, Temple Baptist Church. It's Brad Hooper here. Uh, it's crazy to think that two years ago, uh, around this time of year, is when you sent us out from Temple to go plant Restoration Church. And I, needless to say, uh, there's been some really great times, but there's also been some challenging times, both on your end and on our end, as I'm well aware. And as much as we're thankful to God for the growth that we've seen, uh, the new uh, membership that we've seen uh, to our church, I'll be honest, it's been a challenging time. And for all of us in this current situation of COVID-19 and now just all the tumult that's going on in our world, uh, this is a really challenging time for all of us. And I really believe that God is using it strategically in our lives. I believe that God is using this, these times to refine us. And that, that's a lesson he's been teaching me. And it's something that I just really want to share with you about what I've learning, what I've been learning out of God's word. So are you ready to be refined? You know, in our day, the word refined has taken on kind of a negative connotation. Uh, You can see it in certain ways, like refined sugar, for instance. Uh, All the health bloggers will tell you, you should keep away from refined sugar. That stuff's nasty. You know, you want the raw stuff, or stevia even, whatever that is. Uh, You know, we've kind of moved away from this idea of refined things because they're overly processed, inauthentic. You know, live-edge wood furniture is also all the rage these days, where... In the old days, you would have a nice, refined, clear-cut table, but now people want the the real thing, the live edge, the unrefined, the natural. You know what they would have called someone, a carpenter 100 years ago, who tried to sell a live edge table? A bad carpenter. Uh, (laughs) You know, so it's a little bit funny how values change in culture. But really, we we have had this reaction against overly processed synthetic products, and refined seems to have that connotation for us. But I believe that's wrong. I believe that's a misunderstanding of the word refinement. Because to refine something is not to create something that's inauthentic or fake. It's actually to restore a thing to its true nature. Refinement is actually a really good process whereby impurities are removed from a substance. So it's a very good thing, actually, even if it's not an easy or pleasant thing. And that's really what I want to explore this morning uh, through a passage in Malachi 3. So would you open your Bibles, uh, turn to Malachi 3, or as John would often say, you know, Turn to or turn on your Bible uh, to Malachi 3, verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read. And, and I really believe that this has a message for the church today, that God is wanting to refine us, to restore us to our true nature by removing impurities from us. Let me read from Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? 
for he's, he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you would refine us. And I realize in asking that, that's a bit of a dangerous prayer. Father, I pray that in me, you would do the work of removing impurities and, and, and restoring your true purposes in my life. I pray that for this church, for Temple Baptist, that you would do your work by the Holy Spirit to both expose some of the impurities that exist among the church and also to remove them, Lord. Would you do this for the glory of your name through your son, Jesus Christ? Amen. There are two steps, essentially, to the process of refinement. The first step is to actually, as I mentioned in my prayer, to expose the impurities that exist in a substance. And then the second step is to remove those impurities. And doing so, and then and only then, will the substance retain its true virtue, its true nature or character. And, and we can see this in our passage with how God actually does this with his people. He does both steps of exposing the impurities that are present and then removing those impurities, all to restore the true nature and purpose of his people. The first step I mentioned is to expose the impurities. And, and that really comes out of verses 1 and 2. Let me read verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. There are three essentially identical statements. Not identical, but saying very much the same thing in different ways. The first statement in verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Um, we could say that this is the Lord preparing his people for his arrival. Second statement, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Call this the Lord's sudden arrival. And then thirdly, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to call this the certainty of the Lord's arrival. Three statements saying roughly the same thing. There are differences, and I don't have time to go in depth on those. But the overall message is pretty clear. The Lord is coming, and he is in fact coming soon. Now at this point I have to address a potential misunderstanding, because if you know your Bible well, you'll know that this verse, Malachi 3 verse 1, uh, occurs at the beginning of Mark's gospel, where, where Mark says that, you know, this is the beginning of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then it goes right into this verse. Behold, I send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And so we understand from salvation history that this prophecy had a fulfillment in the ministry of John the Baptist, who's the messenger preparing the way for the Lord, and Jesus, respectively, who's the Lord who will come to his holy temple. And without taking anything away from that historical fulfillment, 
I yet believe that these verses can be taken in the sense of a yet future fulfillment of the prophecy. Because we know that there wasn't only, there won't be only one coming of Lord Jesus. There is a second coming. And while I don't want to make this a message about eschatology, there, which is the study of the last things or the last days, there is a sense in which there's an eschatological warning present in these verses. Whatever you believe about the last days, I'm not going to delve into that topic. You have plenty of capable pastors and elders on staff who can uh, teach you on that topic. But, but without delving into that, I just want to know that the important question to ask in all of this is not when will the Lord return? And we're hearing a lot about that these days because we live in such chaotic times. But the important question is not to ask when will Jesus return, but will I be ready for him when he does? You know, this is always the emphasis in scripture when we speak about the Lord's coming. There's a passage in Matthew that... um, that really speaks to this. And uh, before I turn there, I, I want you to note something in verse one. Uh, it, it's the second of those three statements where it says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. I believe the suddenness of the Lord's arrival is going to expose in the church some of the impurities that exist. And if you're questioning where, I, where I'm getting that, turn with me to Matthew 24, uh, where we have a very parallel idea in, in, in the suddenness of the Lord's coming. Jesus instructing um, his disciples, he says this, Matthew 24, starting at verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So we have this idea of readiness, preparedness for the Lord's coming. And what does that preparedness look like? Obedience. What has Jesus told you to do? Are you doing it? But verse 48, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, The master of that house, now listen to this, will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a very, very heavy message. But we know that the Lord's coming will be sudden. In fact, in in the Hebrew, in this verse, Malachi 3.1, the, the, the idea of suddenness is right at the fore in the sentence. And it, the NIV actually translates it well, I believe, when it says, then suddenly the Lord whom you're seeking will come to his temple. Now, why would Jesus do this? Why this idea of suddenness, almost like taking people by surprise? I believe it's to expose what we're doing. It's to expose the impurities that are among us. One of the news stories that has broken recently, um, and I'm sure you've heard of it because it's all over the news, is the, the, 
the horrendous state of some of the long-term care homes in our province. And, you know, I don't need to rehearse for you what are some of the conditions that many of our most vulnerable citizens are living in. Um, just absolute squalor and filth. And, and many journalists, as they um, co comment on this situation, they're, they're highlighting the fact that well, there haven't been proper inspections done in these homes. And, and everyone's calling for this, um, this review of the, of the state of these homes. One of the journalists uh, that I was listening to commented, not necessarily that the lack of inspections, because there is evidence that inspections were done, but maybe these inspections just weren't very thorough. Uh, you know, it's very surface level. Or, and this was very interesting to our passage, he noted that when these inspections happen, generally, whoever is responsible for doing the inspection will give advance notice and they'll say, hey, we're going to come on this date to inspect your home uh, just to make sure that you're following protocol. And when that happens, well, the administration of the home is able to say, oh, okay, well, you know, let's, let's make sure we have all hands on deck for that day. Let's make sure we're putting our best face forward. Uh, you know, let's clean up over here and, and make sure uh, these residents over here are being take, taken care of. And, and so when, when the people know that they're going to be inspected on a certain date, they can prepare for that. But when the inspection is sudden, when it's unplanned, at least from the, the side of the home, unexpected, they don't have any time to prepare. And, and all that's going on in that home will be exposed for what it is. When, it's, when the inspection is sudden and unexpected, the true state of the place is exposed. And I believe that's what Malachi is getting at here in verse 3. When, when the Lord will come suddenly to his temple, will he find faithfulness? Will he find obedience? The Lord's coming, whenever it comes, will be sudden. We're told that throughout Scripture. And, and as much as the Lord gives us fair warning to make ourselves ready, we still don't know the day or the hour. And, and so there's this prophetic and eschatological warning in this passage that the Lord is coming to his temple, and are we ready to meet him? So we see that God will expose our impurities by his sudden arrival. But there's a second way that God exposes impurities and, and carries on this work of refinement. And this comes in verse 2. Let me read it. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. I believe the point here is that God exposes our impurities by his very character his perfection, by who he is. Because in this verse, uh, the, the emphasis is not so much on what God will do when he comes. There's, there is that in there. But the emphasis, if, if you read closely, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and he is like fuller's soap. We're meant to draw our attention to God himself, to his character, to who he is revealed to be when he comes. And we know that God is absolutely perfect. When he manifests himself to us, 
our own imperfections, our impurities, are revealed for what they are. You see, we can get pretty comfortable in our lives when we compare ourselves to others. When we simply say, well, you know, I, I'm a pretty good person. I live a pretty good life. I go to church regularly. I'm even serving in, in such and such capacities. And, you know, that's more than I see some other people doing. I must be doing all right. When we compare ourselves with one another, we get a skewed sense of right and wrong. And a skewed sense of justice, in fact. If, if you look back at verse 17 in chapter 2, just the, immediately, the verse immediately preceding our, uh, our passage, you get a bit of a context for what was going on with the people. And, and the Lord says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? See, what was going on is people were just looking horizontally. They were seeing what was going on. They were seeing that, you know, the guy over here is really not obeying the Lord. He's really not living righteously or virtuously. And yet, he seems to be getting along just fine. And, and here I am, doing my very best to keep the Lord's commands. And I, I don't seem to be getting ahead. And these questions of God's justice start to surface, and, and, and we begin to think, well, what's the point, you know? I, I, at least I'm doing better than them. Or at least I, you know, I'm not quite as bad as, as these other people. But you see, that type of comparison, that kind type of judging, just really doesn't hold water. Um, you know, if I have a dirty shirt, and some guy over here has a slightly dirtier shirt, I may think of my shirt as relatively clean. But it isn't clean, in fact. It's, it's dirty. <laughs> we can't use one another as standards of justice, of purity. It's no good to say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Because that person isn't your standard. God himself is your standard. And he's the standard by which you'll be judged. There's a verse in, in the psalm, Psalm 12, 6, which says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. That's purity. That's perfection. That is, in fact, the standard by which we will be judged, by God's very word. And when we're judged against that, against something so pure and so perfect, all our impurities are revealed for what they are. Uh, as it says elsewhere in the Psalms, Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Because with God, there's absolute perfection. But with us, there's iniquity. There's impurity. So we see that no one is righteous in God's sight. We all have our impurities. God alone is perfect. So God, in, the, in this refinement process where he takes us from what we are and, take, and, and makes us into a much purer, truer form, what he does first is he has to expose our impurities. And that's a painful thing. <laughs> that's not a comfortable thing. 
When God exposes our impurities by his sudden arrival and by his perfect character, we're not left with very much. We are justly condemned, in fact. And that's bad news. But you see, there's actually good news in this passage. Because as I mentioned, the first step in refinement is to expose those impurities, but the second step is to remove them. The good news in this passage is that God makes us pure by removing our impurities. Look at verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. In order to become pure, in order to become what God actually expects of us, we need God to refine us because he alone is able and willing to do so. There's an interesting fact about this whole concept of refining. You never find pure gold or pure silver anywhere in nature. It just isn't there. It doesn't exist. How, how you get to this gold and silver is, is you first take the metallic ore out of the earth and, and you extract it, you mine it. And then what they do is they take this metallic ore and they heat it to extreme temperatures, uh, so much so that the, 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 these metals turn to liquid. And, and because gold and silver are heavier metals, when they, they're liquefied, they fall to the bottom, but these lighter metals, these, these impurities in the gold and silver rise to the surface. Uh, and then from that, from that point, they're, they're oxidized on the surface and, and they're able to be skimmed off the top. And, and what you're left with, and mind you, this process, they go through this process many, many times. Remember Psalm 12, verse 6, the word of the Lord is like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. This is an ongoing, this is a repeated process. I really think this is a fitting metaphor for the spiritual life, for our sanctification. Uh, refining is difficult. It's an intense process. And what you need in order to have refinement is this external pressure, namely heat, acting on a body, acting on the metals to melt them down and to actually expose, to bring to the surface, literally, what is impure in it. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that for me, during this whole season of COVID-19, there have been a lot of pressures. And I felt it. I felt the heat, if you will. You know, having three kids, three young kids at home and trying to get work done from home, <laughs> that's enough pressure to drive anyone mad. Um, I mean, literally mad. <laughs> uh, something, honestly, I've been struggling with during this season is anger. Um, anger is this impurity that's risen to the surface in my life because of the external pressures that are on me. Now, most of you at Temple, you, a lot of you know me, and that may actually surprise you to know that anger is something I struggle with. I, I'm generally a pretty even-keeled guy, friendly, uh, you know, uh, easy to get along with. I'm, I'm generally pretty peaceable. And yet, if I'm speaking honestly, Temple, 
I think that's because you've never seen me at my worst. You've, you've never seen me when I'm really under pressure, when I'm under heat. The truth is I do struggle with anger. And the pandemic for me has really brought this impurity to the surface. It's, it's not allowed me to ignore it anymore. As I said, the stress of trying to work from home, the noise, the disruptions, the crying, besides my own crying, uh, it's, it's been a lot to deal with. And I wonder what that's been like for you. I wonder what sort of pressures are on you during this season. Maybe it's not so much the working from home. Maybe it's the financial pressures that are just really weighing on you and, and pressing you and squeezing you. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's fear of the actual virus itself or else of just the craziness that's going on in our world. What's that pressure doing to you? What's it bringing out in you? You see, when we're under stress, rarely do the best things come to the surface. <laughs> That's when our, our flesh really rears its ugly head and shows itself for what it is. The, the, the pressures of the pandemic I know have not brought out the best in me. They've actually brought out the worst. Do you know what the good thing about that is? It's that God can use that. God can work with that. Because he is sitting like a, a purifier and a refiner over our lives to see what's rising to the surface. And he's right there willing to say, yeah, I'll take that. I'll skim that right off. Whatever's going on in your life right now, I want you to know this, that God is using this pandemic to expose your impurities. Not so that he can sit there and, and, and point the finger at you and say, what an awful person you are. No, he's actually doing that so he can remove those impurities in your life. As I mentioned, in, in, in the refining process, once the minerals have risen to the top, you know, they, they will actually stay there unless the refiner is there to, to remove them. You know, the, the intense heat, the circumstances are able to separate the good from the bad, but they're not actually able to remove that bad. It takes someone who is above and outside the process to do that. And that's what God does to us when we confess our sins to him, when we are open and allow these things to come to the surface. And I mean, not just in our lives, but in the sense of confessing those sins, in the sense of, of actually bringing them up to God and asking him to deal with them. And trust me, if you do this, you know, I, I've found that when I am able to confess my anger to my brothers, and, and I've had to do that many times during this pandemic season, when I confess it to my brothers and I confess it to God, what it does, it actually allows me to release that. <laughs> and, it, and it allows my brothers to come alongside me and hold me accountable. But most importantly, it's God who does the work of removing those impurities. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us or purify us of all unrighteousness. 
And I just think it's such a beautiful picture when, when Malachi says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And notice the outcome. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. That's what God is seeking from us. He's seeking righteousness. He's seeking a life that is lived in worship to him. But that won't come without refinement. So will you allow the Lord to cleanse you of your unrighteousness? Will you be open with those who are around you, your trusted brothers or your sisters, to whom you can confess these ugly parts of us that rise to the surface during times like this? Just as pure gold doesn't exist in nature, neither does pure humanity. <laughs> we can't just be that on our own. God must purify you. Just as ore cannot remove its own impurities, neither can we. The refiner has to do that. And when he does that, not only do we become righteous in his sight, but also pleasing to him. Look at verse 4. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Uh, the sense of the verse is actually, there's an emphasis on this word pleasing. And it comes right, in, right at the beginning in the Hebrew. And pleasing will they be to Yahweh, as in days of old, as in former years. See, the good news is that God is well pleased with the finished product of his refinement process. This word pleasing has a connotation of sweetness, of pleasantness, of something in which the Lord delights. And I really believe that this refining process is going to reveal a people in whom the Lord is well pleased, in whom he delights. When he does this work of clearing away everything which is impure in us, and restoring us to our true nature as worshipers of him. God's going to delight in that. And that's really good news. But you see, that's only possible if you have a new nature. You know, this idea of, of refining metals. Um, if there's actually no gold or silver in in the ore, in the metallic composition, you can't refine that into gold or silver. <laughs> if all you have is zinc and magnesium and copper, you're not going to get gold or silver out of that just by heating it up. No, you actually have to have that nature. You have to have that composition in order for the refining process to work. And you see... In our natural state, we're not pleasing to God. <laughs> in fact, we're told in scriptures that we're objects of his wrath in our natural state. Because of our sin, because of our sin nature, he was utterly displeased with us, with who we are. But you see, because one man, because Jesus succeeded where the sons of Levi failed, because his nature was not corrupted by sin or impurity, because he, he offered himself in righteousness to the Lord on our behalf. Only because of him is that refining process even possible. Because you can have a new nature. A restored nature as worshipers of Yahweh. This refining process is, is 
dependent on us having that new nature. There, there's a verse in Colossians, a passage that I, it's, it's lengthy, but I want to read it to you because it really speaks to this idea of having this new nature and then also refining that nature. Colossians 3, starting at verse 1, says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. That old nature, what you were, that has died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. That, that, that new substance, that pure substance, that gold and that silver, that's hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, the good news is through Christ, you can have that new nature. But that still doesn't exempt you from the refining process. Because listen to what Paul says following. Put to death, therefore. Now, he just said you, you died. But you still have to put to death those impurities that exist in us because we still exist in fallen flesh. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And Malachi would tell us it is coming suddenly. It will happen soon. And these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. You see, these impurities that, that Paul mentions, the anger, that speaks right to me, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the obscene talk from your mouth, all these impurities that are perhaps coming to the surface in your life, you need to put those to death. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, church, we've been given this new nature. And it is, in fact, our true nature. It's what God created us to be in the beginning, before we were corrupted, before our nature became that which is displeasing to God. When God created man and woman, he delighted in them. He, he looked at them and he saw that they were very good. However, through sin, they became corrupted. So we said, see that your, your sin nature is not your true nature if you are in Christ. And through him, we are able to become pleasing to God. Even as the father says to the son, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So even though we live in this body of death, as Paul set, calls it, know that your true nature is something well-pleasing to God. But again, that doesn't exempt you from this refining process. The sins that we battle on a daily basis are not part of our true nature. They're impurities that should just be cleared away, which must come to the service and confess to God and, and removed by his mighty hand. Do you desire that? Do you desire that purity which is on offer to you? Because God wants to do that to you, but you also have to submit to that process. Do you desire, church, to be pleasing to God? Do you desire to be this offering to him? Even as Paul says in, in Romans 12, 1, therefore, 
in view of God's mercies, present your bodies as spiritual sacrifices or offerings acceptable and holy in his sight. Do you desire that? Because that's what real worship is about. And that's what Malachi is focusing our attention on, is this idea of, are we truly worshiping God? See, in Malachi's case, they had really lost sight of that. And I wonder if we have a little bit too. Has our worship become about what makes us feel good? What we're comfortable with? What, what pleases us? Or is our worship about what pleases him? So I want to ask you, church, do you desire this? Do you desire to be holy and pleasing to God? That's true worship. Refinement is not easy. It is not pleasant, but it is good. And it will make us pleasing to God. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you would refine us. We submit to your refining process. May we be truly like that gold and that silver, which Jesus, you, you will purify us into. You will refine us into if we submit ourselves to you into that process. So God, we do so. We ask that you would work in us that, that which is pleasing to your name through Jesus the Son and through the Holy Spirit.